you're tuned in to Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit simplecast.com. Welcome to Beer Me on Full Service Radio. We're broadcasting live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Sarah Jane. I live, work, and I love beer here in D.C. During my time in culinary school, I uh, gained an appreciation for good beer. My studies in beer continued at grad school at NYU. Since then, I've been a beer director, beer consultant, and I get to continue to explore the beer world with all of you wonderful listeners. Every week, I will get a different guest from different facets of the beer world, from brewers, importers, educators, uh, to help us explore this really fascinating and dynamic world. Whether you are new to beer or a seasoned professional, we will have something for you. Uh, Today, we are excited to have Doug Miller here uh, joining us uh, via phone uh, from Cornell University. Uh, he currently teaches the Introduction to fermenta- Fermented Grains, Hard Ciders, and Sake, uh, and previously taught for many years at the Culinary Institute of America in Hyde Park, New York. Doug, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, so did I get that right, the class that you're teaching right now at Cornell? Yes, it is. So, I teach another class, Restaurant Management. Oh, okay. I gotcha. Uh, so I wanted to talk a little bit with you about just beer education, um, a little bit about your background, uh, kind of where we're at as far as uh, beer education goes and what students typically do, uh, with beer education and kind of the different areas they can go into. But let's first give our listeners a little bit of background about you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So I've been in the industry for, gosh, 30 years now. Um, I actually learned how to attend bar um, before I had my driver's license when I was uh, 16 years of age. That's the order it should um, go. I know. There's somebody I was very, very fortunate that uh, Danny, uh, the bartender, said, you're going to need to know this someday, kid. And, of course, at the time, I was happy that I was just attending bar. I didn't know there'd be a lifelong passion. Um, I went to culinary school, and then after that, I pretty much worked around the country. Um, in the D.C. area, I worked for a restaurant called Coco Pazza at Union Station. I also worked at the Wyndham Brista Hotel, which is also no longer. But I've worked as close as D.C. and as far away as Hawaii. And I've uh, been here at Cornell for about the last two years teaching. Nice. So you were a big part of developing uh, the brewing classes at the Culinary Institute of America. Uh, currently, there are two, correct? Uh, brewing programs or? Yeah, the, the classes that they have right yeah, now. Two classes, yes, there is. Yep. yes. So just to you know, kind of explain to our listeners mm-hmm. what those cover, essentially. So I decided to start first a beer evaluation class, just introducing students to different beer styles and basic, basic production um, because I felt that there was a need um, at the educational level, and training the future chefs, restaurateurs, managers about beer knowledge. From there, I decided to approach uh, President Ryan, who's the president of the CIA, who also, um, father was a brewer at Duquesne Brewery in Pittsburgh back in the 70s, 60s, about opening up a brewery on campus. And the whole thought process is, quite frankly, why not? 
Um, I think that peer education is important, uh, just like any other facet of the industry for the future, uh, uh, again, chefs, restaurateurs. So we opened up that brewery, and in that class, the students, it's not a brewing school or a brewing class. It really introduces students to the art and science, which is the name of the class, of brewing beer. Gotcha. Now, I mean, from what I understand, you had a, a lot of support from President Ryan, um, but has there, you know, have you no, did you notice any kind of, uh, not kickback per se, but, you know, any uh, struggles to kind of convince people that this was a worthwhile endeavor? Not really. Um, everybody was very, very open to it, and that um, really, I have to, quite frankly, give a shout out to Eric Brown, who um, was one of the first students in the class who really uh, helped uh, this program get it going. Um, and the simple fact, through some of his connections, uh, being able to partner with Brooklyn Brewery to help support uh, both financially and educationally the class itself and the brewery. So how did uh, Brooklyn Brewery get involved? As far as what did they contribute? Uh, Brooklyn Brewery, the biggest hurdle that Brooklyn Brewery helped us was changing the state law. Um, Because of it was illegal up until the opening of the brewery to have a manufacturer's permit and a um, uh, seller's permit, on-premise permit. And so they helped uh, convince state legislature to change that. And, of course, it was signed into law by uh, Governor Cuomo. Um, they also help secure the brewing equipment, and they also, from a technical standpoint, um, Garrett Oliver helped develop some of the original recipes and continues to come up to class and educate the students. So the relationship with them has been going since the beginning of the uh, brewery. Now, have you seen, uh, you know, kind of a little background on myself? I also went to Culinary Institute of America, and... When I went, there was a required class uh, for wine education, uh, and then it continued with options for advanced wine. There was also bar management, beverage management. Uh, when I was going there, which wasn't that long ago, um, <laughs> but uh, there wasn't any beer class. Um, and I think this has been an indication of the change of the times that when a, a student from a hospitality or culinary school comes out uh, into the real world, there is an expectation that they have a full understanding of not only just wine education, but also spirits, uh, coffee, beer, uh, sake, that kind of thing, to be a little bit more well-rounded. Is this kind of where that inspiration came from? Absolutely. I mean, the industry is more and more complicated. The beverage industry, the beer industry is more and more complicated. And um, the help give tools to the future, fill in the blank, I felt that it was necessary to increase their, their beer knowledge. And I also think, too, because the majority of the people I've had in classes do not go on to brewing or don't go work for a beer company. Um, the other reason why, and that's part of the reason why I started the class here at Cornell University, the hotel school, was to make them also better consumers. Um, so they make educated Uh, decisions when they go to purchase beer, whatever they decide to purchase. Now, that's a a huge point that I want to talk a little bit about. Um, Educated consumers, not only in the sense of, you know, when they go to buy themselves a six-pack, but 
I mean, from Cornell University, you're training the future of, um, you know, hospitality professionals that in theory will have a hefty amount of buying power. Um, do you have some students that have kind of gone on into roles where they're, you know, purchasing a, a lot of beer? I've had students, so I have students, the great thing about my class currently is I have more than just hotel school students. I have this semester a couple of law students. Uh, I have a couple of students from the engineering school, um, from, uh, I have a historian in my class who's going to be a historian. Uh, so uh, that's part of what makes the class great is not everybody in the class is going into the industry. People that had gone into the industry have assumed various different uh, roles and positions um, in food and beverage operations from uh, buyers to managers to, you know, places uh, up in Seattle like Canalis Restaurant or the Bay Club in San Francisco or in the New York City area also. Have you had any students gone in, go into the beer industry specifically? I've, I've not had any that I know of direct students going to the beer industry. Mm-hmm. Um, most of it is in through hospitality. Um, I do know the other great thing about Cornell is we have in the um, agricultural side of the university, uh, Dwayne Bershaw teaches a brewing class. Uh, oh, okay. So on that side of the program, um, there's a full... Not a brewing school, but he teaches a brewing class, plus we have organic chemistry and uh, other disciplines. And that's what makes it great being here is all the different disciplines, experts that we have. Um, Cornell is working on developing new hop strains that are grown upstate New York and new malt varieties that are also grown upstate New York, uh, let alone people doing research on a wide range of different topics. Nice. Now, kind of getting back to your class, um, fermented grains, hard ciders, and sake. Um, So for me, I completely understand uh, sake and fermented grains. Sake is made from uh, rice, a grain. Um, But hard ciders, I kind of want to discuss with you the inclusion of that. Um, That's kind of been a debate uh, among especially the cider world as far as, you know, should cider be... Uh, kind of part of the beer world, or or is it closer to wine? Some saying that uh, because it is a fruit-based beverage, um, that it should be uh, more closely associated with wine. However, more often than not, you see uh, in restaurants and establishments, the person that's responsible for the beer typically is responsible for the cider as well. Uh, What do you think? Cider sits in no person's land. And the simple fact that you are correct, technically it is a fruit wine, um, I've debated about it, should I include it in the class itself. I personally love ciders, mm-hmm. and it gives me an avenue to introduce students to the wide range of ciders out there. And it's not what they have been accustomed to as something bubbly and sweet um, and one note where cider is very dynamic. And I've debated about it. I go back and forth. Should I keep it? Should I not keep it? At this point in time, I've just decided to keep it in there. Yeah. But I think it's a great category by itself. Oh, for sure. And I mean, considering you're right in the heart of some of the best uh, cider in the U.S., you know, you might as well take advantage of that. Absolutely. So uh, very, well, somewhat recently, uh, you taught a a seminar at the Great American Beer Festival. 
which I had the privilege to sit in on. Uh, you want to tell our listeners a little bit about that? So sometimes, as I, as I commonly phrase, I wade in the deep end. And so I decided to come up with a beer and potato chip pairing. <laughs> now, the reason why I decided to come up with it is, I, and I asked the audience, there's about 100 people in attendance. I asked the audience, how many of you have had beer? And, of course, everybody raised their hand. How many of you had potato chips? Everybody raised their hand. And I'm like, okay, have you decided to pair the two together? Because beer pairs with food in a lot of different ways, but most people have never considered just pairing beer with simply potato chips. Um, so I had, I worked with... Um, Saranac Brewing, mm-hmm. uh, FX Matt, who is a Canadian. He's graduated um, in the early 70s, Mr. Matt. Um, decided to partner with them and taste a wide range of potato chips to simply show how easy parents can be. Yeah. So uh, we're going to take a quick break, um, and we will discuss uh, all those different pairings that we got to explore during the Great American Beer Festival. Thank you, Doug Miller, for joining us. Excellent. Stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Flash Frequency. The song is called Foxes. This is Beer Me on Full Service Radio. Welcome back to Beer Me, recording live from the Line Hotel. We are joined today by Doug Miller, uh, who teaches at Cornell University, uh, previously uh, an educator at the Culinary Institute of America in Hyde Park, New York. Uh, We were discussing, uh, right before the break, a uh, beer and potato chip pairing that he broke down for everybody at the Great American Beer Festival. He partnered with Saranac Brewing Company. Doug, you want to talk about what chips you went with? So, I went... I utilized a wide range of chips. So one of them was um, an Iberica ham potato chip that is coming out of Spain mm-hmm. um, that tastes just like Iberica ham. Uh, then I also uh, paired um, the, the strangest pairing, and I did not see this one coming at all. And it really happened in a fluke where I was just hanging out in the kitchen with my wife, and I was like, yeah, let's just try it. And it worked out fantastic. So it was the uh, Creole... Um, onion potato chips coming out of New Orleans mm-hmm. uh, paired with Saranac strawberry tart beer. And on the surface, it would look like that would not work and it'd be a train wreck. It turned it out, it made, for lack of a better term, made the strawberry taste more like strawberry. Yeah. And it made it very, very strawberry-ish, um, which I can't explain why that was the case or what caused it, but it's one of those happy accidents, if you will, that you trip across by just trying different types of pairings and different combinations. Mm-hmm. And the last so, one, as I recall, was a sweet potato chip? Sweet potato chip from Colorado. Mm-hmm. I also had that with the strawberry beer, too. Nice. Yeah, it was, it was definitely interesting. And, uh, you know, to kind of talk a little bit about beer pairing, um, you know, you have your guidelines, right? Just like mm-hmm. you do with wine, um, you know, matching intensity and acid and sweetness and kind of playing with those things. But I mean, at the end of the day, uh, you just got to sit down and, and try a bunch of different things because, you know, you will get those flukes. Um, how many potato chips did you have floating around in your house? Oh, gosh, I, brought, I had so many potato chips. I had like a dozen different varieties. 
Um, I was bringing them in to work because we had to get them out of the house. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> we were eating potato chips every day, and everybody in the office was loving us because we were bringing in potato chips. So I was trying um, uh, potato chips from the Portland area, from Colorado, from New Orleans, uh, Pennsylvania, um, some kettle chips from there. So I was trying potato chips from all over. <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, so you are you also taught a uh, seminar at the Craft Brewers Conference uh, a little bit about uh, service standards uh, in, in brew pubs, correct? Yes, uh, last spring mm-hmm. in Washington D.C. Uh, and and this is something that I, I find very important in that as breweries expand in, you know, adding tasting rooms and brew pubs or as brew pubs themselves expand, we currently, according to the Brewers Association, have 1,916 brew pubs in the U.S. Um, You know, something that sometimes gets overlooked is, uh, you know, kind of the service standards uh, in these establishments. And that's such a huge part that can really drive business. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are some things that you, that you covered in your uh, seminar? One of, the, one of the first, I think, important aspects of a guest experience in a brew pub or even in a restaurant is service itself. Um, I want to make sure that when somebody comes into that brew pub, you're supplying great beer and you're supplying great service because they both go hand in hand. And also being able to relate to whatever the guest that is. So if that guest has a lot of beer knowledge and experience and wants to get the SRM and hop varieties, great, go there. But for that guest who might not have that type of experience, being able to relate to them and keep it basic and simple to not turn them off um, but to invite them to explore their palate and the types of beers that they like. So I think it's important that the that beer professionals relate to the guest itself and enhancing their experience, whatever that may mean to the guest. Yeah, and, you know, there's an article that came out in Forbes uh, on the 31st of January uh, that kind of outlined that only about two-thirds of people exclusively order beer in brew pubs. So you have, you know, as, as important as beer knowledge is in these establishments, you have a lot of guests just not ordering beer. They're there for the experience, uh, to hang out with their friends. A lot of times, you know, there are a lot of community events that we've covered in previous shows. Um, so a lot of times people aren't even there for the beer. Uh, so, yeah, no, I totally agree that... You know, it's the service that's going to, you know, really make a difference uh, in the experience and making sure that you're not, you know, either turning people off or even worse, uh, when they do want to have that beer knowledge, uh, just, you know, making it up or completely balming. (laughs) You know, because I was was at a brewery in Mono Creek, California, not too long ago, called Cali Craft. And I was there for the Saturday, Friday before New Year's Eve, and I was there for about an hour or so, mm-hmm. and I just watched all the people coming into the place. Yes, they're coming for great beer, but they're also coming for the social aspect. So it's families, it was friends, it was colleagues, and that's one of the great things that Brew Pub can be part in the community is a great vehicle for social interaction at a wide range of different, uh, different levels. Um, Everybody, majority of the people are ordering beer, but of course they also had some great sodas for um, kids to mm-hmm. offer. Um, I would also say that's true with another brewery that I went to in 
Walla Walla, Washington, they were celebrating National Root Beer Day. And they had a great root beer on tap, and the pub was filled with families, and they served a ton of root beer floats for the kids and also sold beer uh, to the adults. And that's one of the things that makes it so much fun is that family or friend interaction. Yeah, we've also talked about the importance of root beer and brew pubs on the show before. <laughs> yes. um, no, I mean, it, it just goes back to, you know, how the how the brewery makes you feel. I You know, I distinctly remember the first time I went to Jester King, which is right outside of Austin. You know, it's located kind of out in the middle of this really beautiful field. There are picnic tables. There's, some, there's a wood fire pizza oven. You know, you go and grab your beer, grab some pizza. You know, it's absolutely, you know, when I went there, it was beautiful outside. There were families, there were friends, you know, there were people playing cornhole. And it was just this really, you know, happy scene. And, you know, I had such a fantastic experience. I mean, to be fair, Jester King beer is outstanding. Uh, But, you know, it's that experience. And it's almost like every time I have a Jester King beer, my adoration for the beer is also because every time I drink it, it kind of snaps me back to that moment. Um, you know, that really, really happy, happy time. So, you know, as a, as a brewery, you can make a lot of impact, you know, if you really think about your brew pub experience and, you know, how you're making people feel. No, and I've seen that of wider. It's even like here in Ithaca, Ithaca brewery, um, has a giant field and it's perfect for kids just to run. That's the parents, and that's one of the reasons why people like go again. They have great beer, but they also have that great uh, experience, which is why also I'm a firm believer of having a good wine program and a good non-alcoholic program. Not to say you have to have a huge wine list, mm-hmm. but what you do offer should be of quality. So if someone doesn't want a beer, that's okay. Um, they can still have a great experience and have a good glass of wine. Or if they don't drink at all, that's okay. They can still have a great experience and don't feel left out of the fun. Um, I would also say if, you know, for the food offerings too, have a good quality uh, food offering that works for your operation. Because, you know, if the beer is great and the food's not so good, that could turn, turn away guests and vice versa. So they all go hand in hand. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of times you'll see a wine list or something like that, and it's like the wine isn't, you know, at the right temperature, or it's kind of an afterthought. And, you know, this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier in that, you know, uh, as you exit uh, culinary or hospitality school, your education needs to be well-rounded in wine, spirits, beer, etc. And that just reflects, you know, kind of what you need to provide as a brew pub or brewery owner, and that it needs to be well-rounded. Uh, you see, uh, who is it? Full, uh, Modern Times uh, Brewery mm-hmm. in San Diego. They have a outstanding coffee program and a little yeah. bit of a cult following for their for their coffee. Um, you know, you, you see a lot of different um, you know breweries expanding to you know different facets. I think it only makes them more marketable. Mm-hmm. Just like I've seen sommeliers get into the beer world too. Yeah. Because they re- are starting to realize, too, that they have clients that, that want a beer. Um, so they need knowledge on beer to uh, enhance that guest experience. Yeah, we I had dinner suck those sums in one close at a time, you know? <laughs> well, I had dinner at a restaurant uh, in upstate New York at the Lux Table. And um, you had a choice between three different types of wine pairings or you could do the beer pairing. So I went with the beer pairing. My wife went, went with the wine pairing. 
Ooh, which one won out? Uh, beer always wins out, but um, <laughs> uh, the wine pairing uh, was also really, really good, too. It was, it was kind of hard to beat because for the wine pairing, that's some extremely old, rare, hard-to-get uh, wines. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. it. <laughs> well, anything uh, new and exciting on the horizon for you? Any uh, seminars coming up or, uh, you know, exciting trips or anything? Uh, I hope to visit Just the King at the end of March. Nice. Um, uh, I'll be in San Antonio uh, then. Um, it's, it's Our vacations generally revolve around visiting breweries. So I was in St. Pete not too long ago. Really good beer scene going on in uh, the Tampa area, mm-hmm. St. Pete area. I was pleasantly surprised on the amount of breweries and the quality of beer that they're producing. Um, pleasantly surprised. Um, trying to work on some seminars. Might do another roundtable in May, as I did I did one last May, uh, talking about the beer industry. Uh, increasing students' knowledge of beer is, is a passion of mine. Um, and, I, and the great thing about it is students are very, very receptive. So they are like, they try in class, they're trying to buy it the next day. They're like, I love that beer. I got to go get it. Where did you buy it from? Uh, which is which is great to see. And one student who came back from winter breaks, like, yeah, one of the beers we had in class, I tried it with my parents. My parents thought it was okay; they didn't love it, um, but at least they tried it. Yeah. So that's that's exciting. No, and it's it's great to kind of see that you know that moment where the you know the guest or the student says, oh, I don't really like beer, or oh, this isn't you know not really what I enjoy and there's so many different styles there's so many different you know directions it can go in so when you finally get that beer that they're like oh wow this is amazing this is beer mm-hmm. yes That's awesome. um, and it's getting that much more complicated I've I have a hard time myself just trying to keep up to date on all the data information uh, styles regions etc in the beer the beer industry yeah, the beer industry is constantly changing and, and constantly evolving, which is exciting to see. Um, but yeah, no, I, I totally agree. It's definitely a little difficult to keep up. Uh, now, do you have any, do you typically take your students on any, you know, trips or uh, excursions within the area? Uh, Cornell University is surrounded by a lot of really great breweries um, and a lot of uh, great producers. I, I, I have yet to. I'm working on... Um, possibly doing a alumni um, tour in Belgium. Ooh. That'll happen in 2019. We'll see. Um, I do know a lot of the local breweries um, in the area mm-hmm. um, and recommend students to go to them. And Cornell has, oddly enough, a lot of influential people who've gone to Cornell are in the beer industry. For example, Steve Hendy um, at Brooklyn Brewery. Uh, Mr. Matt, I mentioned at Saranac. Um, There's a brewery in the Hudson Valley that uh, somebody went to Cornell. So I'm also working on um, trying to connect uh, different people. Mr. Izaki, the CEO of uh, Caring Holdings, is uh, a Cornellian. I'm trying to connect all these parts uh, around the world, literally, um, who are currently in the beer industry. Nice. No, that's outstanding. Uh, well, 
thank you so much uh, for taking time to speak with speak with us this morning, mm-hmm. uh, and keep us posted on any uh, upcoming seminars or classes or anything like that that you might have in the DC area. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you all for listening to Beer Me on Full Service Radio. Uh, We have been broadcasting and recording live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. My guest has been Doug Miller uh, from Cornell University. Uh, I've been your host, Sarah Jane. Uh, The show airs live every uh, Monday at 11 a.m. and is archived on fullserviceradio.org. You can get in touch with us on Twitter at FullServiceRDO, on Instagram and Facebook at FullServiceRadio, or by emailing info at FullServiceRadio.org. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at FullServiceRDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening.